Hello, and welcome to the podcast M&A Stories, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I'm Robert Heaton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Toby Tester. In these podcasts, Toby and I share our experiences on various projects that we've both been involved in over the course of our careers, talking about things that have gone well, things that didn't go too well, and things that just completely failed. The purpose of this is that we're hoping that our listeners will learn some valuable lessons from those experiences and that those lessons can be taken forward into your M&A projects. We hope you enjoy listening. So let's get this podcast underway. Hey, Toby, good morning. How are you? Morning, Rob. Hey, how are you going? Well, How's we're... Melbourne life for you? Week three, we're halfway through. Good right. news is that the numbers are coming down. It was much lower this morning, so 100 and something. I can't remember the exact figure, but certainly in the right direction. We're, we'll see what this week brings. But uh, other than that, uh, we're surviving. We're doing okay. That's good. That's good. Now, we've got a fascinating topic to talk about this week. I must admit, I mean, I've dealt with M&A for quite a while. And I've seen all sorts of different uh, types and challenges of M&A. But you've come up with a brand new one, the M&A zombie. Zombie, uh, M&A zombie Armageddon, Rob. I'm, I'm just going to sit back and see where, <laughs> where this one goes. So, I'm sure it's going to be fascinating as usual. Yeah. You, you kick off, mate. It's all yours. Well, yeah, I was going to say, in actual fact, I was, I was, something that we um, both saw over the weekend was an article that came out from the Financial Review. And uh, it's kind of timely, really, because it actually talks about the 10 best and the 10 worst M&A deals over oh, the yeah. past 20 years. I saw that one. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it was interesting uh, talking about it because, I mean, and reading the article, and I won't go into detail, but really what it's saying is that, look, there are some deals that go well and there are some deals that just go really, really bad. So bad that, in actual fact, it literally threatens the existence of the um, organisation. And I think that when deals go really bad, it's normally because right from the beginning they've avoided some of the absolute must-dos, some of the basic principles yeah. that you apply. Yeah, there is. And, I, and I, I would put it quite simply as just three fundamental rules for M&A success. You've really got to get least, if nothing else, you've got to get these three right. And I would say make sure that you've got an M&A strategy that is clear and has a coherent purpose. Now, Rob, we talked about purpose before in a previous podcast. And so purpose has a certain power, but that's just one thing. And then the next is, is, is quite simple. Make sure you've got a clearly defined process. And finally, make sure you've got a plan, a plan for integration before completion. It really just comes down to three things. Purpose, process, It's not rocket science, is it? Not Difficult. Now, no. I can't imagine anybody disagreeing with that. These are the three basic rules for M&A success. Pretty oh, straightforward. I bet, I bet you're going to go on and say to prove that people do disagree with that. <laughs> well, what I was going to say is, is that when deals go really bad, it comes down to one or more of those rules being broken. 
And, and obviously it depends on the sort of what you define by the criteria for success, whether it's shareholder return or enterprise value or market share, or even if it's achievement of specific goals. The unfortunate result is that around half of all mergers and acquisitions do not achieve long-term success. Well, let's just put that in a vernacular from my point of yeah. view. Whenever you're going to make an acquisition, the sum of the two parts should be greater than, than, than their individual value on their own. Yes. Now, whether that's in financial value, whether it's in terms of market share, whether it's a deal that you're doing to strengthen your brand or whatever, yep. the end result should always put you in a better place than when you started. Mm, yeah, that's that whole notion of synergies, yes. Otherwise, yep. what? why would you do it? If it's going to mm. take you backwards, yep. what on earth's the point? Indeed, indeed. Yeah. But anyway, the, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say that when M&A failure does happen, it can impact reputation, share price, and unfortunately, executive careers. Yeah. And sometimes it can be so bad that it can actually lead to total ruin of organizations and people's livelihoods. So okay. it, it can get serious indeed. Now, the question is, and I suppose I've got a question for you, Rob, is that have you in your career had experience with M&A that's gone really ugly, ugly to the point whereby it has led to, if not ruin, very close to ruin of an organization. I can't say that I've had direct uh, experience of one that's gone that far, but I've had several experiences of M&A deals where we got halfway through what you might call post-deal integration, yeah. Yeah. And, and they were just stopped and reversed and it just became a complete disaster. They just weren't, weren't, were never going to deliver anything of the value. But I've got to right. say, on reflection, nearly all of those yeah. have been where one or more of those core principles you just mentioned were ignored. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And I have to ask myself, I haven't had personal direct experience of real zombie-type acquisition behaviour. Nothing sort of like to the point of what I've read about in the press. So what I wouldn't mind doing is, is probably, if I can, tell sort of three stories. And I'll be brief on each one. I've got a, a personal M&A zombie story, which alluded to zombie behavior. And then two M&A zombie stories that I'm pretty sure people are well aware of. So what, are you, what are you class as zombie behavior? Zombie behavior is when I talk about those three clear principles or rules, when all of them get broken, you right. don't have a purpose, yep. you don't have a process, and you don't have a plan. You're just blindly going you through You are it. blindly going through. And there's reasons for this. There's certain dynamics. And I'll go into that because I'll help to describe what behavior is. But if I you're breaking it. all those three rules, you are in zombie territory. You're a zombie. Right. Got it. <laughs> I, I ought to say, by the way, zombie behavior all begins with one uh, condition, something known as deal fever. Yeah. And I'll, I'll explain deal fever because this is where I have had personal experience of it. It was around 13 years ago, if I, if I remember. I was engaged by a list of corporate to write their policy and procedures for M&A. Now, up until that point, they didn't actually have one. So they didn't actually have an M&A process, so to speak. And this was a request from the board who unfortunately got to oversee several M&A disasters, so I found out when I was uh, taken on board. And it was 
probably from a certain amount of exasperation through lack of process, they found themselves probably the last people, the board this is, being the last to know about an impending acquisition. You're joking. And I know, it sounds funny, <laughs> I know, I know. And they were, they were suddenly caught by caught the hop saying, oh my God, we've got to review some transaction documents at a short notice. And, and in a way, there was a bit of pushing by the management to for the board to act like a rubber stamp to everything that was saying, as opposed to them acting as independent moderators. You know what? I can sort of understand this. I'm just going back to my Dunlop days. Yeah. And each of the divisional CEOs mm. actually had authority to execute acquisitions on per- behalf of that division. Yep. Right. And so there was potential there for the board not to be informed until it was too late. Yes. Uh, as it was, though, a guy called Sir Michael Edwards, who I had the privilege of working with, was the chairman of Dunlop at the time. Um, he made it damn sure none of these divisional CEOs would ever dare to pursue an acquisition without letting him know in the first place. <laughs> so that there was a mechanism for it getting to the board, but I can understand how it could happen. Yeah, it's interesting because of course, um, M&A is a massive bit of discretionary expenditure, so you, you'd expect uh, any kind of M&A deal to uh, go to the board. You would have thought so, yeah. You would have thought so. But anyway, look, I was, I was brought on by this organisation to look at their M&A policies and procedures and write them all. And uh, I actually got to chat with a couple of executives, and they told me a bit about the bit of the background. And it, it was a case of deal fever. And just to explain what deal fever is, deal fever is a case where people start exhibiting a sort of like a, a certain comfort with risk. In other words, that they don't really think of risk too much. And there's a lack of an orderly process. And I think executives easily get themselves caught up in the excitement and the thrill of deal making without that corresponding level of analysis, process rigor, and assessment of risks. And so it comes a situation where it's very much driven by a personal ambition and ego, where completing a deal is what counts. Regardless of whether it's a good deal, complete the deal. That's the measure of success. I was just about to kick in with exactly what you just said. I was yeah. going to talk about ego, and yeah. you beat me to it. So oh, okay. uh, that is exactly the point. It is the egos that often drive uh, a deal because something's nice and bright and shiny. Yep. That's about as much attention as it gets and everything else is thrown out the window. Indeed. And uh, you're right. And it, it was interesting in this particular case because because of this whole deal fever where they were just going to a deal, the excitement, the thrill of the deal, instead of any kind of objective thought or analysis regarding what you're doing in a process, that what happened is that one deal got completed after another, after another. And in the end, they ha- ended up with about half, over half a dozen general ledger systems. And the interesting part of that is that they started to find themselves not knowing what financial position that they're in collectively. And so they had to have a credit whole department just to do management reporting, which meant Excel spreadsheets, pulling stuff out of GL systems, pulling together management reports just to understand where they were at any one time. I'm going to add a quick byline into this. Yeah. Not going to name the company, but it's a very large company. I am. We might know. <laughs> I've got to say that their acquisition tr- strategy yeah. had a severe toll on the business. Ah, and, really? Uh, okay. And they, they actually found out that it was costing them $6 million a year in spreadsheet jockeys 
Right. Just to pull information from multiple acquisitions into one point so they could actually see what was going on. Well, you can imagine how that impacts decision making because yeah. you don't have the information in front of you. It's not easily obtainable. How can you make decisions? And we're just talking finance systems here. I'm not talking about everything else. Just uh, yeah. finance systems. And if I can draw an analogy, it, it, when you get that kind of situation of deal fever, when you're not doing integration, it's a bit like having a ship taking on water, where the departments are more concerned with bailing the water out as opposed to going in any particular direction. Yep, yeah, yeah, that's a good analogy. I like it. <laughs> anyway, that, that was my experience with uh, deal fever. And my job was there to put in a policy and a process, which I, yep. um, I naturally did. But that was it. But I have two other stories, and I'll be brief on them right. in terms of other sort of zombie stories. And this is where I can name companies. There was one, it was actually just over a year ago. Uh, I'm uh, assuming before you do that, that these are publicly known. These are indeed publicly right. known and publicly published, and it's out there in the press. Right. Um, one of them is a uh, company called Interserve. Interserve is a British um, company. It's a cleaning uh, business, and they do all the cleaning for uh, buildings, airports, and schools, the London Underground, right. and it's a massive cleaning contracting business. And over the years, they've been spending over about 400 million Australian dollars, about 400 million pounds, buying businesses one after the other. And so it's a very ambitious plan to grow the organization. But one of the things and one of the challenges they had is they didn't properly integrate those organizations. So it's, it's a case of what I just mentioned before, where you're buying businesses, you don't integrate, and effectively you start taking in water because you're continually bailing out water instead of um, working out the direction they're going to take. I've just, I've just remembered an analogy of a friend of mine from my technology days yeah. that I think applies here as well. Oh, yeah. He used to use this analogy in terms of corporates that approach their IT systems by buying all sorts of different systems and never integrating them, right? Yeah. And this is a similar scenario. And he used to give this presentation and he used to show how a corporate started out with a, a, a core system and then they'd add this on and they'd add that on and they'd bolt something else on and then get another system. And he used to say to people, can you tell me what that delivers? Uh, before yeah. they could answer, he would bring his last slide up and it was a picture of Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> well, there you go. It's the zombie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that, that's, that's the analogy he used to use. And this is the same thing, isn't it? You well, end it is, up, it, it you is end indeed. It is. So with a £400 million spending spree on, on buying businesses over the years, it created its own monster. And, yeah. and what happened, the net result, was that they had operations that couldn't no longer be understood uh, with little no integration. There was considerable complexity. The debt levels went sky high and it reduced their profit. And just about one and a half years ago, the business went into administration. Yeah. Um, and it was a result of all these businesses that are being acquired and they didn't thoughtfully go through the process of how you go about integrating them. And so they had a massive case of indigestion couldn't function any longer and eventually yeah. went into administration. No, they, no. they still exist, by the way, as a business, but so I think they're still, uh, there might be some of protection, bankruptcy protection, not sure. But it was a case where you link zombie-type behavior when it comes to acquisitions and then total failure of the organization. Yeah, no, I can, I can very clearly understand that. 
Yeah. And another one, which is probably um, people are even more familiar with, which is the Royal Bank of Scotland. And this happened oh. around the global financial crisis. Fred Goodwin. Uh, Fred Goodwin, or Fred yeah. the Shred, as he was known. <laughs> yeah. I do remember this one. <laughs> and um, this is a, a, a serious case of, of deal fever, really bad case. He made about 20 odd uh, acquisitions and effectively transformed. RBS, and this was like just prior to the GFC. Yeah, and the I, thing think, is, I think the thing about these as well is that they, we're not talking small acquisitions. There were bloody big ones. There were big ones too. Yeah. The thing yeah. is, he just couldn't stop, and the deal yeah. fever just kept on going and going and going. And eventually, RBS was becoming a zombie acquirer. And around 2007, he couldn't resist a $100 billion takeover of the Dutch rival ABN AMRO. And yeah. that stretched the RBS capital reserves right to the limit. And at that point, the company was unable to function properly through this total situation of debt and dysfunction. And the British government had to bail them out with, with $30 billion. So yeah. biggest loss in UK corporate history. And that, again, was a case of zombie behavior when it comes to m It's another topic for another podcast at some time but it's a classic example of where you get a megalomaniac yeah. at the top of an organization who just basically drives everything through and overrides the governance authority of the rest of his board is it indeed and look and a lot of this comes down to leadership it's the leadership behaviors at the top and it's fundamentally about business leaders not following their own M&A best practices about boards, not failing in their role as M&A moderate, moderators. And it's a bias, total bias, to just get in the deal done. Not yeah. whether it's successful or not, it's get in the deal done. Sounds a bit like someone that's in the news at the moment. Could be. <laughs> Never mind. Well, <Won't> go. <laughs> I think you're going down a path. I'm not sure you might be going there with that, Rob. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about the US elections. Uh, the Republican Party's uh, convention that's taking place. Yeah. I, I, I think that the salutary lesson behind all of this, uh, Rob, is that it all begins with deal fever. And so yeah. just watch out for deal fever. Just look for the symptoms. The symptoms are not paying proper attention to process, high comfort with risk, deals driven more by sort of ambition and big egos, running off roughshod over other people. And when you start seeing that happen, where organizations are more concerned with deal completion than deal success, there you've got deal fever. And deal fever, if it just lets, let it continue, then you've got zombie organizations. Yeah, no, I can see that linkage. So what, what do we learn from that? Three things. Very simple. Purpose, process, and plan. Purpose, number one, make sure that all your M&A strategy is driven by purpose. Clear strategy, coherent strategy, driven by purpose. Second, make sure there's process. Make sure that M&A has an orderly, consistent, repeatable M&A process. So in other words, there's a certain step you go through that is an objective way of proceeding from one step to the next to the next through various stage gates so that the deal gets that level of transparency but also objectivity around it. Yep. And then plan. Make sure that you are working to a plan yes. yep. <laughs> and importantly, an integration plan. So assuming that the deal requires integration, make sure you have a plan developed before you complete.
Well, I'd go a bit stage further than that. Even if you're making an acquisition and you don't intend integrating that acquisition tightly, mm. um, you still need a plan. What are you going to still do? A, absolutely. How's the plan for it going to operate, and how will that how will that integrate with your current business operations? Even if that business is going to be operating independently, what's the plan for that? Correct. Yeah. Correct. No. Yes. I, I use I, the word plan in the broadest of terms. Whatever it yeah. is, have a plan for what you're going to do once the deal is done. Yeah. And, and, and I think there's a good point in that, that if you do come across deal fever, as you say, where someone's ego's got in the way or it's just a, a case of deals look bright and shiny, when you interject purpose, process and plan into that, it, it actually can be the the controlling mechanisms. That doesn't mean that you can't go ahead and complete a nice, bright and shiny deal, but you've actually got a structured way of assessing it and dealing with it. Yeah. And, and what you're saying is when, when those three principles aren't there, you've ex essentially got a zombie mentality. You're just blindly yeah. going ahead without yeah. any real purpose. Well, how zombies behave, Rob. I mean, they sort of vaguely move around the place, unsure exactly what direction they're going. <laughs> they're they're very ghoulish in their behaviour. I actually think that's a good one, Toby. That's a, <laughs> a, a great great topic. I'm sure that's going to cause some amusement, if nothing else, as well as some great lessons. <laughs> um, and I think, I think we could probably call that a wrap for this week. Okay. As usual, it's been an absolute pleasure recording this with you. I think we've got a guest next week, haven't we? We have indeed. In, indeed, that's going to be Lindley Watson. And um, we're going to be talking about M&A failure again. She wrote a great book, by the way, called um, Don't Join the M&A Failure Club, which I think is a great title. So wow. um, <laughs> so looking forward to talking with Lindley. Yeah, I know Lindley as well. So that'll be a great, uh, great podcast to record. So as usual, we'd like to say thank you to our listeners for uh, tuning in to this podcast and all the others that we've uh, produced on M&A War Stories. We'll be back next week with Lindley and we shall uh, look forward to talking to you further at that point. And that just leaves us for this stage to say bye for now. Bye.